Hey, what's happening, Willow Creek? My name is Pastor Derwin Gray. I'm the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And on behalf of my beautiful bride, Vicki, on behalf of the Transformation Church family, it is an honor and it is a privilege for me to be with y'all. I want to thank Pastor Dave and I want to thank all the leaders of Willow Creek as well. Um, Willow Creek has a special, special place in my Heart And so thank you so much for having me. Um, Here's something that I think we can all agree upon, right? And and it's profoundly deep. Uh, I think we can all agree upon that 2020 was an absolute dumpster fire. Now, I'm not, I'm talking about not just a standing still dumpster fire. I'm talking about a dumpster fire floating down the freeway in a flood kind of dumpster fire. We started out early last year with the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, his beautiful daughter, and six other precious souls. And even though I didn't know Kobe Bryant, there is this sense of like, man, if that can happen to a superstar, it could happen to any of us. And then we start hearing about this this virus, which becomes a pandemic, and we've got lockdowns, we've got recessions, we we we, we have the tragedy of George Floyd, and and we have chaos and protests, and cities are are burning, and we're looking around, going, man, are we in an episode of the Twilight Zone? Twenty twenty was wild, a complete dumpster fire, and then twenty twenty one rolls around, and it's kind of like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Right. But on a serious note, um, on January 6th, like you, I'm sitting at home and I can't believe what I'm seeing. Um, Like you, I'm going, is this really happening? Because we we see the U.S. Capitol being overrun and 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 we see it being breached. Uh, My fourth grandfather, my great, great, great grandfather's name was Moses Davis. He's from Virginia. And he fought in the Civil War for the colored cavalry in Virginia. He fought in the Civil War against the Confederacy. The Confederacy wanted to not be a part of the United States. The Confederacy wanted to keep slaves. And, and, and as a patriot, he, he fought to unify this country and to fight against evil. And then to see in the U.S. Capitol a Confederate flag. Uh, I must admit, my, my heart was heavy that day, not only as a pastor, um, but as an American. Um, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that was a a deep time of mourning. And the reality is, is that uh, visceral rhetoric, inflammatory rhetoric will be taken to heart by those who are emboldened by that. So, so, so what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? Now, I understand not everybody listening is a follower of Christ, and I'm so glad that you are listening because Jesus wants to meet you. Jesus wants to blow your everlasting mind. Jesus wants to love you with a love that you never even thought was possible, right? So how do we respond for those of us who are followers of Christ and those of us who are thinking about following Jesus? What if I told you, that the way we push back darkness, 
the way we see through the fog of chaos to the cross is by being happy. You're like, wait, 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 Pastor Derwin, bruh. Uh, what are you talking about being happy? Well, it's interesting. In the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach, King Jesus opens up his famous Sermon on the Mount with what's called the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus is standing over the Sea of Galilee. His Jewish disciples are at his feet. I've been to the very spot. And as he's on this hill to do the Sermon on the Mount, he opens up with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And Jesus describes eight characteristics of a blessed or happy person. For instance, the first one in Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for they will uh, have the kingdom of God. Well, the word blessed is the Greek word makros and it literally means happy. And so Jesus is saying that our happiness is the result of being born into his family. There is a result of being born into his father's kingdom that happiness is our birthright. But understand this, it's not a happiness where good things perpetually happen to you. The happiness that God is talking about is God actually making us good for the world. So no longer is our happiness contingent upon if there's a pandemic, no longer is our happiness contingent upon if there's chaos and, 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 and all types of just craziness, twilight zone moments. Our happiness now is rooted in Christ and what's happening in us. He's forming us into his image to make us good for the world. And that happiness, here comes an old school theological word. That happiness leads to holiness. The word holiness, it means to be set apart, that we belong to God and God is doing a work in us. And as he's doing that work in us, we have a happiness that makes us look like Jesus. And so what I wanna do is I wanna walk us through Jesus's beatitude where he talks about happy are the merciful. Happy are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So. Um, I want you to marinate on this right here, okay? Merciful people are happy people. Let that sink in. Merciful people are happy human beings. As a matter of fact, think in your own life. Have you ever been around someone who is not merciful and you were like, man, being around these people is awesome. They're grumpy, they're mean, they're critical. They don't have any mercy or compassion. Wow, they just bless my life. Uh, you have not met that person, but in reality, you, you, you might could be that person. I got good news. If you are that person, Jesus wants to give you a happiness heart transplant. So merciful people are Happy people and people who lack mercy lack happiness. Matthew 5, 7 says this, blessed or happy are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. In a world that lacks mercy, we are to be the mercy of 
Jesus. For those of us who are followers of of Christ right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of his father, interceding on our behalf. If, If Jesus is in a dimension called heaven with his daddy, how does he move here on earth? He moves here on earth through his people. We are to be his mercy in a world that lacks mercy. So being a merciful person means, number one, loving God by loving people you're not supposed to love. Number one, loving God by loving people you're not supposed to love. I'm gonna say it one more time because sometimes cognitive dissonance kicks in and you're like, well, I don't wanna love people I'm not supposed to love. Well, God didn't ask you or me our opinions. What he's doing is he's inviting us into his story for his glory, for our good and for the sake of the world. So merciful people, love God by loving people we are not supposed to love. Luke, a Gentile, a Gonim, a non-Jewish person, shares his perspective of the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And Luke shares a story where Jesus is in a conversation with a religious scholar. Now, the religious scholar has uh, motives that are not good. What he wants to do is he wants to catch Jesus in a trap to show that this upstart rabbi from Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth was the hood, y'all. Nazareth was the other side of the tracks. Nazareth is where the rent was low and nobody had a mortgage because they couldn't afford a house. Nazareth was the hood. And that's why Philip, the brother of Peter says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so here's Jesus proclaiming and doing things that only the Messiah, the Hamashiach, God in human flesh could do. And so, so this religious scholar wants to put Jesus in his place. Let's read the story. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28 says this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him. In other words, stood up to try to catch him in a trap. Trying to catch Jesus in a trap is like trying to drink Lake Michigan with a straw. Never going to happen. Saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, let me pause here. What's happening is by the first century, second temple Jewish time of Jesus, the Jewish people took what's called the Hebrew Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eleheno, Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Then they added Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 19, which talks about loving your neighbor. So love God, love self, love neighbor. At Transformation Church, this is what we say. Upward, inward, outward. Upward, inward, outward. Love God, love self, love neighbor. So love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28 says this. You've answered correctly, he said to him. Do this and you will live. So thus far, Jesus is passing the theological test. Watch what happens next. Being a merciful person means this, that every human being is your neighbor. 
Okay, let me let me let that uh, 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 marinate a little bit. Let me let that hang in the air the way Michael Jordan used to back in the day. That means every human being is your neighbor. You ready? That means for me that my neighbor is someone that I don't agree with politically. That neighbor means someone that I may not agree with on anything. Neighbor means neighbor. Neighbor means everybody. Uh, Let me give you a Hebrew term, not a Hebrew term, but a Hebrew term. Your neighbor is everybody. Watch what the religious scholar does. Verse 29 of Luke 10. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, let's take it easy on the Jewish religious scholar a little bit. Let's, let's enter into his world. So I need for you to get into a time machine with me, and we're going to go back 2,000 years to the ancient soil of Israel, right? So, so if you're that religious scholar, For the Jewish people, your neighbor primarily would have been another Jewish person, specifically a Jewish man, not a Gentile, not a Gonin. So for those of you new to the faith, uh, in the ancient world, for the Jewish people, there were two types of people in, in the world. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Jews were God's chosen people, people of his covenant or contract. And then there were Gentiles. They were pagans. They were idolaters. Um, they were unclean, right? So, so for the religious scholar, from his perspective, he's like, well, of course, only Jews are my neighbor. Why? Because as a Jewish man, his history would have informed him that he could not trust Gentiles. Think about it. The Jewish story is this. 400 years as slaves in Egypt to these Africans, right? They're Gentiles. And and, and then God sets them free by this incredible miracle called the Passover. And they get set free from slavery in Egypt. And then they got to deal with the Canaanites. They got to deal with the Hittites. They got to deal with the Preservites. They got to deal probably in the desert with ants that bite. So you got more more Gentiles that want to take them out. Then they finally get to the promised land. And because of disobedience, what happens? They get into Babylonian captivity. So they're in captivity. They're taken from their promised land. And then if it wasn't for Queen Esther, this young Jewish girl, this Gentile named Haman wanted to commit genocide with all the Jews. Finally, they get back to the promised land And they're under Gentile rule and occupation under the brutal Roman Empire. Jesus would have grown up walking the streets of ancient Israel, seeing other Jewish men hang on crosses. It would have been normal. Crucifixion was so heinous in the ancient world that Romans would not let Roman citizens be crucified. That was reserved for non-Romans. So this religious scholar would have only seen Jews as his neighbor, not Gentiles, because the history between Jews and Gentiles was filled with ethnic strife. It was filled with religious strife. It was filled with political strife. In other words, it sounds a lot like 
2021 in the United States of America. So let me say this clearly. Let me say this with love and compassion. Jesus has something to say about racism. Jesus has something to say about ethnocentrism and misogyny and classism. All of those are sins that under the blood of Jesus can be washed away, can be wiped away, that we can actually be transformed to be the people of God but it takes courage and faith to obey. Let's continue with the story. So the religious scholar wants to justify himself, and now we get a little insight of why. But watch what Jesus does here, and let's look at being merciful. Being a merciful person means this. Number three, you ready? Number three, that you and I cross, notice cross, cross, wordplay, cross. You and I cross ethnic. Now notice I didn't use racial. Um, There's only one race, the human race, but the human race is comprised of different ethnicities. And ethnicity can be surrounded by a culture. It can be surrounded by languages, right? So there's one race, the human race, and that human race is beautifully diverse. It is multicolored. It is multicultural in different cultures and expressions. Being a merciful person means that you and I cross ethnic, cultural, and religious barriers to help hurting people. Jesus tells a story. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 says this. Jesus took up the question and said, a man, this is a Jewish man because he doesn't describe him as a Gentile. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. So understand this. Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a 17-mile winding journey down a mountain, 3,000 feet. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, that road was called the Bloody way because there was so much uh, robbery, abduction, murder, like like stuff went down on that road. So the, the, the audience would have known what Jesus was talking about. So let's look what happens to this Jewish man. It says the robbers, they, they stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Jesus being a master storyteller says, a priest happened to be going down the road. So what would have happened in the audience in the early centuries, um, conversation oratory were back and forth. So the Jewish listeners would have been, they would have been clapping, a priest. Well, who's a priest? A priest goes to the temple to make sacrifices, ask for forgiveness on behalf of themselves and the people. It's like kind of, you know, kind of like the lead pastor a little bit, right? So, so the priest should have been the hero of the story, a Jewish priest. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Wait a second, that's not supposed to happen. Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite, what is a Levite? A Levite is more of like the worship leader, right? Leading in sacrifices and praise and worship. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, how ironic is this? We know 
that the priest and the Levite were not in danger of being ceremoniously unclean from touching a dead body. Why? Because they had already offered sacrifices and praises in the temple in Jerusalem. How ironic is it that they leave the temple for the Jewish people? The temple is where heaven and earth met. It was where the Shekinah glory of God was. Forgiveness and praise and sacrifice and atonement, all of this beauty. And yet when they leave the presence of God, they walk past a fellow Jewish man hurting. Here's a question. Who are you walking by? Who are you leaving on the side of the road that's been stripped, that's been robbed, that's left for half dead? And I'm using that symbolically and I'm not giving specifics because there are people that you're walking by. As a matter of fact, it may be somebody that disagrees with you politically and a lot of their anger is built out of fear. But instead of seeing their pain, you see anger. Instead of seeing them as broken, you see them as an enemy. Who are you passing by? Verse 33. Verse 30, I'm sorry, of Luke 10 says this. But a Samaritan. Time out. I say this at Transformation Church. God loves big butts and he cannot lie. Satan may try to deny. You're like, preacher, what you talking about? Whenever you see but in the Bible, God is about to do something big. God loves big butts. Whenever you see a big butt in the Bible, but God is about to do something. Watch this. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Time out. The Jewish audience, when Jesus said, but a Samaritan, they would have began to boo and hiss. Why? Because Jews and Samaritan had a ethnic strife, religious strife, and cultural strife. Why? In 722 BC, the Assyrians uh, took over some Jews in Samaria, took them as captive, Uh, Those Jews that were taken captive began to marry Gentiles. And before you know it, this whole group of people called Samaritans came into being. And and they were half-breeds. They were half-Jew and half-Gentile. And then, from a worship perspective, they worshiped in Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem. And then, from a religious text perspective, they even had their own religious text. And so there was ethnic strife. um, There was religious strife and cultural strife. And also the Samaritans desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. So there was a lot of beef. There there was a lot of hatred. So when the Jews would have heard, but a Samaritan, oh man, that's like saying a member of the neo-Nazis walked into a Black Lives Matter movement march. It would have it would have been incredibly toxic. You see, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The devil understands this. Dark demonic powers understand this, that they can't touch God, but they can divide God's people. When the Samaritan came up to him and when he saw the man, Let's pause. 
Notice the label Jesus uses in this story. It doesn't say when he saw the Gentile man. It just says that when he saw the man. In other words, he, he, he saw the humanity, not the enemy. The Samaritan man didn't see the enemy. He, he, he saw a man. He didn't attach a label to him. Never forget this. You and I will never love people above the label we give them. That's why Jesus says, love your neighbor. And what do we do? We put labels on human beings. We go, well, well, that's a MAGA person. That, that's a Trump person. Well, well, that's a Democrat. Well, 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 that's this person and that's that person. And Jesus is teaching us through the story of the Good Samaritan. No, that is a human being made in the image of God who has intrinsic worth, who has intrinsic value. As we say at Transformation Church, every single person that walks the face of the earth, that has walked the face of the earth, Jesus died for. Therefore, treat everybody, treat everybody like Jesus died for them because he did. That's a game changer. He, he, he saw the man and next it says, and he had compassion on him. Uh, the word compassion is two words smashed together, and it means to suffer with. The word picture is the empathy that a father feels for a child. And so this Samaritan who had experienced the ethnocentrism, the racism, the religious bigotry, all the stuff, he saw a man, not a Jewish man, he saw a human being made in the image of God, and it says, and he had compassion on him. Hebrews 2.9 says this, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted death for everyone. If Jesus tasted death for everyone, then we can love everyone. Crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Being a merciful person means, number four, that you and I are willing to count the cost of loving your neighbor. Um, Willow Creek family and everybody else listening from around the world and the country, love is sacrificial and love costs. Look at verse 34. He went over to him and bandaged him and bandaged his wounds. So bandages cost money. Pouring olive oil and wine. Olive oil costs money. Wine costs money. For those of you who are teenagers, you're like, what is up with the olive oil and wine? Well, the olive oil keeps the wounds soft, and the wine is a disinfectant to keep out germs. The alcohol kills the germs. So he spent money on, on bandages, he spent money on olive oil, he spent money on wine, and then he put him on his own animal. His own animal cost money, and then he brought him to a inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Teenagers, two denarii is two weeks of wages. Gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved 
to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Being merciful means that you're willing to count the cost of loving others. Now, I think I stand on good, solid ground from a biblical scholarship perspective to say this, that we can infer that not only did it cost the Samaritan financially, but it most likely cost the Samaritan relationally. So picture this. The Samaritan man goes back to Samaria. Uh, He's at the crib. He sees people in the neighborhood. And they ask him, how was your trip to Jerusalem? And he says, hey, my trip was great, but along the bloody way, I saw this man. And he looked half dead and and, and I had compassion for him. And I went over and I bandaged him. I put oil on his wounds and wine on his wound. I put him on his animal and I paid for two weeks for him to stay at an inn. And his family and friends would have said, well, what Samaritan man is this? And the Samaritan would have said, the good Samaritan would have said, no, it was actually a Jew that I did it for. You did what for a Jew? Wait, wait, wait. You, you helped a Jew? You, 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 you helped a person who, 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 who ethnically think we're dogs? You, you helped a person who, who religiously think we're inferior? You, you helped a person who think of us culturally as less than? How dare you help them? How dare you help a Jew? And I can just see him saying, I helped a human being made in the image of God. Jesus says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The religious scholar says, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So Willow Creek, Go and do the same. Blessed or happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The, the overflow to be merciful and to love those we're not supposed to love flows from the fact that Jesus loved us first. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He didn't say, Derwin, how do you feel about that? Derwin, what do you think about that? No, my thoughts and my feelings, I renounce those rights the day I announced my allegiance to him. Our allegiance is to him. So at Transformation Church, I I complete every sermon by, by, by saying, here's the soul tattoo. What, what do we grab from this? The soul tattoo is this. Who is that neighbor you're not supposed to love? Go in the mercy of Jesus and love your neighbor. Now, uh, I wouldn't be worth five cents of a preacher if I didn't tell you the truest of the true story of the Good Samaritan. That as we open up the curtains 
and we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a truer story there. And here's the true story. You and I are the man that made our way down from Jerusalem to Jericho and the devil has stripped us of our dignity. Sin from Adam has left us dead. Our actions have betrayed us. And here's the deal. We, we, we are sinners. You know what that means? It simply means this. We're not who we're supposed to be. It means this, that our relational connectivity with God is gone. It means this, that, that we are people in the middle of the ocean and we are drowning with no hope. And so we are laying on the side of the road and people pass us by no matter what they try to do. They can't help us. They can't save us. They can't rescue us. We need somebody greater than a good Samaritan to come down from Jerusalem. Oh, we got a good savior who didn't come down from Jerusalem but who came down from heaven. He is the eternal son of God. He is the king of kings. And Jesus was passing your way and Jesus was passing my way. And he saw us on the side of the road. He saw us blooded. He saw us beaten. He saw us robbed. He saw us dead. And what did he do? He ran to the cross because at that bloody cross, there is power in the blood. And the power of the blood is not only to forgive give our sins, but to give us a family with different colored skins. Do you know that, Jesus? And here's good news. Just like the Good, good Samaritan said, uh, put him at the end, and when I come back, I'll pay you. Well, Jesus said, I'm coming back, and I want you to know my daddy has a mansion with a lot of rooms in it, and it's paid in full. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that our hearts and our minds would just be immersed in the mercy of Jesus so that we can drink from his well of mercy that never runs dry so that we can give that mercy to a thirsty world that is unmerciful. In a world where, where there's so much division and hatred and anger, may we be a people of unity and beauty and repentance and mercy. And right now, I don't know who you are or wherever you are, you're listening to this sermon and something has happened in your heart and you're saying, I wanna drink from the well of Jesus's mercy. I wanna give him my life. I'm ready to follow Jesus. I am ready to know him. I'm ready to have my sins forgiven. I'm ready to be loved by him. I don't want to be on the side of the road, bloodied and beaten and stripped and half dead. I'm ready to be alive in his love. If that is you in the silence of your heart, I want you to say this to him. He's listening. His nail pierced hands are extended to you. Say this to him. Lord Jesus, Thank you for passing by my way. Today, I choose to give you my life because you gave your life for me. 
I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you died for my sins on that cross and that you raised again on the third day to give me your life and to make me a part of your family. Today, Lord Jesus, I say yes to you. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Willow Creek.